Today's reading comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Verses 12 through 22. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. This is God's word. Praise God. You may be seated. Thanks, brother. Pray for us. Pray for the, as we open up the scriptures, that the Holy Spirit would minister to us in only the way that he can. can. So if you would bow your heads, Lord Jesus, we ask that that would be the case. Your word tells us uh, that your role is to point us to Jesus, to bring glory to Christ, that you don't speak on your own initiative. And so we trust in that. We trust that that's what you desire to do in all of us, to move us toward, toward Jesus. Um, we pray that in our... Um, in our frailty, Lord, you would do just that. Lord, would you give us a passion for your glory? Open up your word. Would you use me graciously by your, just by your hand, Lord? Would you allow me not to be about my own glory, but to be uh, passionate about the serving of the saints uh, that you might be made much of? In Christ's name, amen. Uh, so, totally forgot, sorry, Demers, as you guys know, if you are not, if you're new here, you don't know, we actually give a nice, beautiful certificate. I was all up in a moment of just hanging out and loving y'all, so I'm, I could have been all informal and afterwards gave it to you, but I want our body to know some of the frameworks and just that I messed up, and I don't think you guys shouldn't be blessed because of me messing up. But also, the Jesus Storybook Bible, beautiful, shiny. It's a very redemptive, gospel-centered. And what I love about this book is I'm telling y'all, you talk about clarity of the gospel. I remember Sarah and I, you know, we don't know how many times we read it now. We have five kids. But, um, but I tell you, it was, it was ministering to us. There was times when we were in tears, you know, as we just thought about the reality of what the rescuer has done for us. And so I highly encourage every adult to read the Jesus Storybook Bible. It will deeply encourage you. So, um, Praise God. We are in the book of 1 Thessalonians. We are coming toward the end as a covenant community. That's what we do. We go through books of the Bible. Uh, so um, we're at toward the end here, and, and then we'll, we'll hit um, next week. Then we'll enter into our time of Advent, uh, have our awesome time of Vision Sunday, and then we'll actually hit 2 Thessalonians in the beginning of the year. And so um, I hope you have been encouraged uh, in this letter where we're watching uh, uh, Paul just encouraged the people of God and what does it mean to, to live a life of faith. Uh, first, really encouraging them considering the circumstances. As we, If we remember, uh, we're talking about the circumstances of a church uh, that he had ministered to. He preached the gospel in an area, 
persecution came upon that area. They kicked Paul, they kicked Timothy, they kicked Silas out, kicked these guys out. These people had been Christian for about a month. Uh, these people had to stay in the high bed of the persecution. And so now while they're right doing their missionary journey, Paul can't help but to think, man, how are those people doing? How are the people of God doing in Thessalonica uh, where they're in the midst of persecution, uh, where they don't have the leadership to kind of pour into them, where discipleship hasn't even been, hasn't, we haven't even built the discipleship ministry yet. <laughs> What's going on with those guys? And then he's so encouraged to see uh, that not only are they doing well, but man, they're preaching the gospel. People are becoming Christians. Other, other lands are hearing of their faithfulness. And so uh, things are, are, are awesome. And so, so Paul, what he's doing is encouraging these guys throughout the scriptures. And then we get to this end here in chapter five, and we see uh, a lot of imperatives. Um, and so I love this book because you got a sense of, hey, how do we encourage people and see the sovereignty of God and how God keeps people even when all the things aren't going the way we want them to go? Uh, then we see God uh, graciously using Paul to encourage, encourage us, I feel like, in this day and age to see that even those guys during that time, God had taught them a lot through Paul in those three weeks because, man, they're talking, he's asking, he's answering questions about eschatology, the study of the last things. He's answering questions about uh, a healthy work theology. And so he goes and he, he answers some practical questions on what does it mean to pursue God and walk with God. And then he ends here uh, in chapter five where he's, he's encouraging uh, the people of God. Well, he continues in the beginning of chapter 5 to encourage them on the judgment of the reality of the end times, that there'll be end times and we need to have hope as Christians, but also there'll be end times and we need to not be asleep. We need to be awake because there is a judgment ensuing. It will happen. And he gives the example of a thief coming in the night, of a, of a woman having a baby, that there is a, there is a, a seriousness and a, a, an absoluteness to this thing, right? Um, and then finally here, uh, we begin to see uh, him encouraging uh, the church in a bunch of imperatives, family, right? And we see all these different imperatives, right? And, and what I want to say is when you think of imperatives, those that, that's a, a big word for commands. Uh, he's given a ton of commands in the, in the text here. And these, each command could actually stand alone, um, absolutely. But what's happening here, I want to propose that the Bible, and this is kind of for free, uh, when you think of the Bible as a nutshell, when you're reading the scriptures, you have, uh, you have a lot of times kind of uh, propositional truth that's, that's coming from the scriptures, where you see these uh, propositions that God is making. Here's what we need to do. Here's what it means to walk with God. These propositional truths, these in- indicatives, these facts and then he kind of, he merges that with some relational components. And so the Bible is kind of comprised of that, propositions and relational living. It's kind of pragmatic and theological, and we kind of merge it together. And as we're doing life, that's what you're kind of seeing when you're doing theology. And that's basically what I want you to get here, is that although you're seeing all these different imperatives, these different commands, do this, here's what you need to be about, <clears throat> know that they're given in kind of the, 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 the bedrock of a relational church, of a, of a people of God who's trying to live this thing out. That's kind of the, uh, the focus of what we're looking at when we look at chapter 5, verses um, 12 through 22. And what he does when you look at all these propositional truths that he's given us is he, he begins to actually uh, map them out in ways that you can actually remember them. And so I want to propose, and you'll see this in a lot of Pauline epistles, uh, when he gives uh, huge lists or he'll give a lot of, of facts or a lot of commands, he'll do it in ways and hope. Uh, it'll look like poetry sometimes. And he'll do like, for example, he's doing, he's, he's talking about a lot of these truths in groups of threes uh, because he wants you to be able to say, how, how, if I want to remember this text, if I want to do scripture memory, what's the cool way to remember this? And so then you can just take it in bite size and say, I can remember these three, you know, propositions pertaining 
to how we ought to relate to God. And then these three, how to relate to people. How, and these three, how to relate to the church. And so he, he does that. And I'm going to hopefully show you that as we continue on. So you see, I'm going to propose you can jot that down, that verses, 20, verses 12 through 22, a lot of the series are in triplets. And the whole point of that is for it to be uh, memorable so that you can memorize the scripture so you can understand the text. And in a nutshell, he starts here with what is God's way for the church? Like, what, what does God want of, of his church? What does it look like? Uh, verse 12, the scriptures read. Because again, we have Paul kind of ending this encouragement. He's, he's blown away at their, their faithfulness. He's seeing God's grace. They're walking with God. He's answering questions to continually equip them. And then he ends uh, with these passages here, specifically verse 12. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And so here we are. I mean, think about the gamut. Now think about the book. We've just gone through the whole book, right? And think of like where we've come from, um, where he's, he's basically in the beginning of the book saying, man, I'm just blown away at your faith. I want to encourage you that you actually are Christians. Uh, he wants to really solidify that in them. And you're believers. Why? Because I'm seeing the love of Christ in you. I'm seeing God do work in your life. I'm seeing people be ministered to. I'm seeing Christ be lifted up. Uh, we move from that encouragement to we see uh, a, little, a little training. Then we see him talk about, hey, let me help you understand what God is doing in his world as it pertains to different theological issues. Uh, and then we see him talk about what is God doing in the world as it pertains to judgment. And he gets here. And he's saying, now, what does it look like for you to, as a practically live some stuff out? And he starts with this concept of what does it mean to, uh, to see the church of God be a healthy church? And he tells us a, b- a bunch of different imperatives here, right? He says, I ask you to, to, to respect those who labor among you, who are over you, who admonish you. Verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, the scriptures read. So what he does, he kind of breaks this thing up. He says, hey, there's, when you look at this, there's leadership. And, and in leadership... I want to propose before we talk about what Paul is saying here about good leadership, I want to really give a brief snapshot of, of ungodly leadership because I, I think that's important to look at. Uh, he's, there's, there could be ungodly leadership, right? And I would say ungodly leadership is, is first and foremost could be authoritarian. So I think you have two gamuts a lot of times. You have uh, kind of authoritarian, tyrannical leadership. What that looks like is people who kind of lord things over the flock, Right? Uh, we're, supposed to, we're supposed to serve, but yet, in essence, everything is kind of power and, and seeking to control and seeking to govern. And a key litmus test is when you're seeking to govern every aspect of the life of the believer in the church, right? So now don't, don't mix that between, like, leading, leading in God's authority and authoritarian leadership, right? Like, I think sometimes because a leader, like, I'm loud, and, and I know what God wants me to be about, and you guys, and you guys know I'm a strong leader, Right. And sometimes that can get mixed up as being authoritarian. Right. Because a person is clear in their leadership versus a person who's saying everything that you do, I want to know about. And I'll yes and I'll amen it. And this is what we're going to do. And this is what we're not going to do. And there's literally not a lot of freedom uh, to be who you are in the Lord. So you have that. You have that authoritarian leadership. But then on the other side, you have what you propose leadership that is not given a lot of authority. And notice I said given a lot of authority, because here's the interesting thing about how this church thing works. As we know, it's levels to this thing, right? Here's how it works. The, 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 the humbling thing about a healthy church is that no matter how good, uh, it's like a relationship, no matter how good the leader is, if the church does not submit and give them authority, 
it's going to be a hard road. Authority is given. You can't take it. When you take it, it becomes authoritarian, right? At the same time, if you have a, a church who desires to have, be a biblocentric church and they're humble and they're wanting to, to celebrate and care for the pastor and lift them up and, and all this stuff, but yet the leader isn't leading well, you're going to have a really horrible situation, right? It seems like both have to happen at the same time consistently. There has to be a sense of the leader recognizing that they are not here in their own accord but we're retelling, as it were, the story of the Holy Spirit. We're saying, I'm not here to speak of my own accord. I'm here to bring glory to Christ. And at the same time, the leader has to receive and has to be celebrated and lifted up to be able to lead, that you have to give them the authority to have authority in your life. And if not, then we all just here wasting our time. Right? I never forget, my, my friend said once, he was like, it's as simple as this. He, uh, he's now an Episcopal priest, and he was in seminary. And he had a guy, disciple, a guy discipling him. And we just laughed one day because he was like, man, Eric, this guy had been discipling me for two and a half years. And he's like, I don't think I've done anything he said in two and a half years. And so he said, man, I think I probably should. Just, the next thing he says, I'm just going to do it because I make no sense. Why disciple me if I never obey anything he talks about? <laughs> right. That's, a, that's, a, that's just, a, um, that's just a, a very, you know, frivolous way of me just trying to make clear. Like, I just thought it was, it was dumb and hilarious, but it was, it was insightful. His point was like, the whole point of discipleship is you're in a relationship and you're choosing to submit to each other, right? You're choosing to say, I'm in this relationship with you, so I'm, that means, in essence, I want to learn. So it's, 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 it's counterproductive to be in a relationship where you're saying, I want to grow in my faith, and I know God has placed you, because that's what we're saying, in my life to help me grow, and we're going to care for each other, and then the whole time we're kind of like this, and we're suspicious, and, and which, you know, you got to prove to me that you're going to, you see that, that posture? It's not helpful, Right? So you have both. Uh, uh, you had a question, buddy? Yeah, so when you're saying the authority has to be given, mm-hmm. are you saying that, uh, I'm just trying to see if it's clear, you're saying that the, the person uh, whom is under authority has to give that authority to the person Yeah, yeah, so I'm saying that God, so God gives us the authority. So like, for example, God has given me the authority to be the lead pastor of the church, local church. However, like, God desires for, for, that to, for that to show itself in the sense of what I propose, what he's going to call here peace, is that you, as the people of God, have to say, I'm going to submit to that, so I'm going to, I'm going to acknowledge that authority, as it were, and give it to you, right? That, that you don't just come in. Like, that has to be something that we intentionally decide to say, this is the exchange we're going to have. And when that doesn't happen, I think you have, you have, you have a lack of peace in local churches. Mm-hmm. So, but, but at the same time, you have leadership that is given little authority, right? And what that looks like is, is that the pastor, right, so you have the guy who's trying to be authoritarian because they're like, I, I know I'm the leader, and you're not, I'm not, you're not acting like I'm the leader, and so now it's this huge wrestling match. And then you have the passive leader where they're kind of, the, 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 the pastor or the elders, they almost feel like the help, right? They're, they're kind of there, and they're just hired servants to do the bidding. Like, basically, it's almost like that they work for you. Right? And that happens in a lot of churches. But neither is true, as it were. Your elders and pastors, they work for the Lord. They're there to lead you. Right? That's the, that's the reality. And I've, even had, I've had guys say t- things to me in the last decade or so that allude to this sense almost like, hey, we pay your, we pay your bills. And then I have to give them some, some theology of work. 
you know, some work-based theology or you know, a little bit to help them understand that's not the case. That you don't, you don't, and by the way, I raised, what he was saying is I was raising like 80% of my support, so it was kind of hilarious he was saying it. But, um, but that's not the case, guys, but that we work for the Lord. And so authoritarian leadership is not from Jesus. Leadership that is given little authority by the congregation is not from the Lord. We're there just to help. But there seems to be, this is what he gives here is godly leadership. He gives us three marks. It's not exhaustive by any means, right? But he gives us three marks here. And he first says that godly leadership labors among you, right? That concept of breaking, breaking toil, hard work. And so a key litmus test of, I propose of a good leader, an elder, and uh, good leaders is that, man, they're, they're hustling. They're working hard. That you're, you can see that they put in the work, <laughs> Right, that they, they are toiling for you. Uh, it says, and they're over you in the Lord, that they are unapologetic about God putting them in that position to direct. The whole concept there is to direct, right? It's, it's necessary in every church. And I, and I just say this over and over again because it's so important for us to get this, family. Wherever you go, if you stay here, praise God, hope you get it here. Wherever you go, always remember that, that in every church is necessary for the leader to be recognized and supported. And that's why the Bible talks about that here and in Hebrews 13, I mean, and in, in, in Romans. It's, it's, in all, it's in many epistles, which are occasional letters where different churches are having issues and then they get circulated because I propose that that's an issue for people. It's how do you see authority, celebrate it, and trust, and trust the sovereignty of God in the midst of it? So they labor, they realize like, who they are according to God. This person, when you say that they're They're over you in the Lord. This whole concept of standing in front of someone who protects and cares for uh, for someone. That's the concept there. Right. It combines authority with responsibility that they feel kind of that heavy, like responsible, which is which is absolutely true. It's man, the the, the heart, the biggest heartache for me as a pastor and the biggest heartache for for Lee is is man is when we see people like are prey to bad doctrine or they fought or they, they, they falter in some way where they, you know, they're not pursuing and enjoying it, what God has, has called them to be about. You know, uh, I had a guy yesterday, again, uh, tell me he wants to get a divorce, you know? And it's like, those things just grieve our heart. Because it's like, man, it's like, you know, sadly, I, 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 take, I, take, I, take, this, I take this personally. <laughs> like, man, Lord, no, we gotta, we're fighting together. Because God has given me the, the charge to, to shepherd, be as it were the under-shepherd. For his people. And then they admonish. It says admonishing people, right? The shared. And now, can I, can I even pause with this admonish piece? This is it's interesting. He's talking, he's telling these individuals how to act toward each other. But may I propose that these things aren't specific to the elder or pastor? That the implication is that he's saying this to everybody in the community. Okay? So I want us to hear that. Don't take a, don't take a break. Like, okay, he's talking about you, pastor. He, he, he's saying this, right? He's saying, we ask you brothers, right? He's talking to the community of faith here. And admonish you, and I'll prove that again down the road. So this is shared by all believers. And what that looks like, admonishing, we talk about this a lot. And this is the hardest thing for people to do, especially in our day and age where, where we're, we're saying things so ridiculous as your truth, which makes absolutely no sense, right? Where it's hard for us at all. It's hard to have a conversation today because we can't, we can't all agree on some basic premises that have been basic premises for all antiquity. You know, that there's some things that are just wrong. There's some things that are just right. right? 
And he says, but he says, you guys have the hard challenge, and I have the hard challenge as a leader to, to, to swim upstream and say, you know what? We're going to look really weird here. What we're going to do is we're going we're to comfort people, but we're going to express when something's wrong. We're going to actually say, no, that's wrong. And we're going to look weird because everyone's going to say, man, I haven't heard that since the 80s. That we correct, we guide in God's truth, right? That basically there's propositional and relational things that are happening when you and I are engaged in God's truth and we're protectors of it. So we pray and care for people, admonishing, it's taking away from people and saying, hey, this, this girds you in truth. Let's be that kind of local body, right? Well, you're going to look, I'm, I'm proposing to you and you know it's true, you're going to look weird. But this is what he's telling these guys. This is how he's leaving them with this letter. So I propose there, that's like how, how you're kind of relating. This is how you should kind of relate to your leaders. And then he, he continues on in verse 12. He, I love this concept. He says, we, you know, we ask you, brothers, I, I want to make sure I clear this up. He says, to respect. I love that sense. And then to esteem. You see that in verse, in verse 13? And there's two ways we esteem in the scriptures. It looks like right here. We esteem highly and we esteem in love, Right? That the, that the esteem is not some, is, 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 I love the esteem, it's not, um, it's not girded in the productivity, right? It's not like I esteem you because you did this thing, it's I esteem you because I love you. I'm esteeming you in love. Well, again, going back to the concept of recognizing godly leadership. See, there's one thing, guys, and, and, and a prayer for me as I, as, I, as I lead and hopefully follow, is, is there's one thing to follow out of duty, and there's another thing to follow out of love. And, and I, I pray that the Holy Spirit right now would ask you, how, how do you roll with that? Right? Do you, do you find yourself, do, are we so prideful where we're like, man, I just, it's, it's a pride issue, right? <laughs> where we can't say, man, I, I just want to enjoy those who are over me. And I want to love them and enjoy them. And I don't want to just do this because I know he said that thing and it's right from the scripture, but I can't, man, he makes me so mad because he always be talking scripture stuff, but I'm going to do it because I am a Christian. Like, see how that's duty-based? Right? One thing that a friend of mine said once, I thought it was, it was, again, very impactful to me. We were talking, we were having this argument in Christian circles of theology, and he just paused in a, in a, in a conversation, it was me and some other homies, and he said, you know what, guys, what's interesting here? I feel like, sadly, sometimes we don't discern our enemies well. And he was just kind of saying, like, like let's make sure even as we have conversation, we have to know we all we got. You're not the enemy. You're my brother and sister. It's amazing to me how you can have these deep friendships. We've been living in a community for years and how a bad comment or a bad situation or me, I say some bad, something bad up here theologically, how it just changed people where I'm the enemy or you're the enemy. All of a sudden, we're, we're looking at each other sideways. We don't, we don't trust each other. And it's like, man, we've been hanging out for three, four years. Isn't that amazing how fickle sometimes our relationships can be? I propose it's, 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 a, it's a spiritual attack. It's a spiritual battle for you and I to quickly all of a sudden see people that we've gone to bat with. We've been in a war together. And all of a sudden, boom, I don't know how serious they are about this. And I don't know if they got my best. And I'm just thinking, wait a minute. We're not enemies. We're brothers and sisters. We're down for each other. Will we disagree? Yes. Will we have differences of how we think about certain things? Absolutely. But man, what does it look like for us to lock arms and say, no, but I love that dude. That's my, don't you talk about him. 
See, I love that. And where I grew up in the hood, like, you know, you can, be, you can have issues with your family, but you better not say nothing about them. I'm serious. Like, we can be like, not, I, I can like, have not talked to my brother in a year and a half, and I'll be in the hood, and someone said, what you say, my brother, dog? What you say? You don't even like your brother. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I'll talk about my family member. Right? That, past, that, that kind of sense, or that familial sense, like, no, that's my dude. That's my girl. We, don't, we are family. So in love. And look what he does here. I love this. I mean, in my mind, I, I, thanks to Jeannie, I think this is a beautiful depiction of what he does. He gives us a little, a little nice little uh, uh, equation here. I'm proposing, guys, we want peace. Everybody wants to enjoy. We want to enjoy our local community. We want to enjoy each other. I, pro- I propose this is what he gives us the recipe for that, right? And, and here's the thing. This, is, this isn't in a vacuum. I'm not assuming that we're just godly leaders. We need correction. We need people to come alongside us in love, in esteem, right? As we continually point toward Christ and make things clear, make the glass, we, you know, put a little Windex on the glass to make our expression clear for Jesus. That's what we're doing daily, right? Because we all are, we all have a, a depiction of who we are. We reflect Christ and then there's mud thrown on the window sometimes. We got to clean it off. That's our journey. We all need that. But man, godly leadership plus respect, esteem, and love. I'm, I'm proposing, guys, in our local church equals peace. Is that when we, when, we, when, we, when we author that and we live that out, and when we understand each one of us have an opportunity to add to that or detract from that, that that is, in a vacuum, you know, it's like, you know, I like the, you know, I like the Patriots, and, and, and Belichick always talks about, do your job. Like, you're the, you're, the, you're, the, you're the offensive tackle. Why are you worried about the running back doing? Right? And I'm like, in your, in your space, ask the Lord, how are you adding to this? Don't worry about what Joseph's doing. Don't worry about what Caitlin's doing. How are you adding or detracting from this? Right. Um, then he gets into relating to one another, family. Look at this. He goes on. He says, so he's given all these again. These are, these are imperative after imperative, command after command. He's, we respect each other. We need to, you know, as, as they labor, people labor among you, you like, admonish people, esteem them highly. And he goes on, verse 14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Look at that. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with all them. You see that? See, so he's looking here, and he see a proposer. He must either know that there's some drama, or he's going to see some potential drama. Um, and he's saying, hey, you guys need some help. Let's talk through this. Uh, admonishing, this whole sense of admonish uh, the idol. The idol means, that the word is interesting. It means like undisciplined, um, like, like, like an insubordinate, like just being wild. You know what I'm saying? Uh, a, a chosen lifestyle that's basically unacceptable as a Christian. And he's saying, you know, we talked about, what is he saying to that person? He's saying, hey, we, we go to them and we, and we correct. And guess what? Who's he saying this to, Family. Who is he saying this to family? He's saying it to the pastors. No. He's saying this to the church. That you all and I, be, we both have that duty to say, what does it look like for us to each graciously look at people and not police? That's why we, that's why we have a framework. That's why we have discipleship, our one-on-ones, our mad groups. We have spaces where we're not just putting everybody on blast. You know what I'm saying? But we're in community and we can come alongside people and lovingly say, hey, man, What's going on? How are we doing in this area? We can take those risks. It was, it was so difficult to take a dear friend yesterday 
and look at him and in his, all his attempts to justify himself, say, I love you as a friend. You're being ungodly right now. You are tired, but you trying to get a divorce is evil. You know, that takes, that's hard. And many of you have done that many times. And I want to encourage you, stick, stay in the game. Keep graciously not letting people just be ungodly so you can look good and people can like you. Right? That's this old, that ain't, this ain't nothing new. That's Old Testament, right? The, the people always wanted to go to the prophets that told them the good stuff. Right? I just love how God is so strict. He gives us the Bible to show us these practical things. I mean, it's clear as day. There's prophets. And, and the dude says, he, say, he says to e, he says Elijah, he says, I don't like coming to you. Because whenever I come to you, you tell me bad stuff. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, can you get more normal? That's just true, right? I mean, that's, am I the only Christian here? I'm, that's how I am. I got some stuff I want to do. I'm like, who, who agrees with me here? Hmm. Justin always talking about the Bible. I ain't going to talk to Justin. Um, hmm. Right? That's how we are. If we, <laughs> right? That's how we are. But we, we admonish. Look, check this out, though. We encourage the faint-hearted. Right? This is a, a timid person, or, or it's a concept of little-spirited. Like, it's not, it's not in the sense of, it's not a demeaning thing. It's a, it's, so don't hear that, but a person who's quickly shaken, who's weak in their faith, one who's discouraged by particular events. Here's the thing. You hear that, and you think, that sounds weird. Little-spirited, like quickly shaking. Guess what? He's talking about everybody at some point in their life. Sometimes there are situations and events that hit you, and boom, it just rocks your faith. Right? And if you haven't had that, just hold up. This world promises it. You'll have a scenario where you go, man, everything was so hunky-dory. We were just enjoying life. We were doing all this stuff. And boom! What do you really think about Christ now? Well, you really trust him. And in those moments, he's saying, hey, people, you know, it's, it's, it's not helpful to go, where's your faith? Why won't you stand up? You're supposed to be a woman of prayer. He says, no, when you're faint-hearted and you're weak and you're, and you're, you're timid, encourage. Come alongside. Point it to some truth, but make sure you, you seize that stuff. Right? We all need that. Look at this. Help. Help the weak. There's people who lack strength. They're physically ill. They're spiritually weak or immature. So this is in the concept of like, 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 like Christian maturity. Yeah, I, I, the picture is one of not deserting them. Like, this is different than what we just talked about. This is not just a person who's had situations hit them, and they're like, oh, man, let me help you up, brother. I'll walk with you. But these are people, man, it's like you, 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 you've been a Christian for a little bit, you're still just kind of immature. You're still just kind of, you're not, you're not growing and being the person you're supposed to be, or you're called to be, and he's saying, those individuals, guess what, this is, this is encouraging, and this is convicting, don't write them off as if they're unimportant. I think the picture is one of those individuals matter. And you don't go, and this is what happens in local churches, you, t- you become utilitarian, you become like a, it becomes utility, marginal utility. Like, are you helping us do the mission? No, then you sit over here and hope you're okay. No, 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 no. You, you, those people matter. And we got to grab them. We got to say, hey, I know it's been five years, but hey, come on, man. <laughs> Let's keep walking. Let's keep doing life. They matter. And then he, he, uh, he uh, gives, I love this, this general, be patient with everyone. He, he underlines it all. I love that, which is so convicting. Because this is probably, for me, 
which I'm humbled that God has let me be a pastor, an elder, because I, 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 I can be impatient. And, and um, I'm always humbled, well, mostly whenever I read the Bible, because I always talk about patience. And I'm like, man, here they go again, you know. Um, but it, it underlines it all. It's like the, the framework into how to really care for people well in all of these circumstances is to be patient with them, right? Even as you're preaching the scriptures, what does it look like for you to, to show you're committed and you're, you're down and you're loving? Be patient with everyone. It underlines them all. This is a person who's not, easy, he's not easily provoked and there's not this emotional outburst where you're kind of hanging out and you're like, ah! Right? It's, it's like, whoa, whoa, what's wrong with you? And what I love about patience, this is what convicts me, guys, as the Lord is continually working this in my life. It's humbling to know that patience is, um, is kindly a reminder of the willingness of Jesus himself to delay judgment on evil people like me. Is that when I model patience, I am reminding myself and retelling the story of what God said, just the same patience you're given, you remember I gave it to you. I'm glad you, I'm glad you did that. Have you ever seen my, you know, do something no, like, like it just reminds me of, of in the Gospels where the guy, the debtor, the guy's in debt and the guy says, hey, uh, 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 man, cancel your debt. He says, cool. Goes on the street, puts the guy in a headlock. Where's my money? The Lord does that. It's the same kind of picture. It's, it's patience. It reminds us God to say, don't you remember? I rescued you. So whenever we're impatient, it's like it's, it's an affront to God because he's like, you forgot what I did on the cross for you. That's what's convicting about my weakness and patience is I, is I, defame, the, I defame the gospel when I'm impatient. So in response to those who are hurting in verse 14, he gives a reaction to those, look at this in verse 15, to those who hurt others. He says, see that, so you, this is how you respond to those who are hurting. And I pray we'd have our, our spiritual eyes open when, with our body because we're hustling God with Jesus and there's hurting people in this room right now. And he says, hey, I want to tell you now, here's how you react to, to those who hurt others. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. You see that? I love that. He says, don't, don't. He says basically, we, we honor God. Uh, the picture is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I, I think that the, the, the dedication that God gives us to, to showing that we trust his sovereignty and trust his glory. He gives us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 a picture of, hey, if you're arguing with another brother, he's like, versus going to the world and saying, hey, I'm going to sue Jonathan. He, he, I can't believe he did that to me. He says, wouldn't you rather just be wronged versus show the world that you don't trust in a holy God, that he sees all this? That's the whole point. I, you know, some of you guys know our car is kind of jacked up right now with the engine. And the Lord is like, no, 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 you're all, you're getting frustrated. But you got, this is an opportunity for me to work in you. Opportunity for you to display that you trust something different in the world. He, he's saying, no, no, we don't, we don't, we don't just get mad and, and go off the handle. And we don't repay evil for evil. And, and one of the main reasons is because of what it tells us about who God is, is your response talks about who, who you believe God to be. It's when you're able to know, like, oh, I don't have to repay evil for evil. What you're saying is, I trust what God said. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But you also trust that God is gracious. And so maybe we thought he was going to do vengeance in that way, but then he says, I'm actually going to display grace. You don't go, no, God, I don't want grace. Do this, do this to him. I was going to get real graphic, but I'm trying to learn. He says, 
No. But God says we, we want to be to the point where we can enjoy whatever God desires what the judgment is because he's good. His plans are not our own. And so that's why we, he can say this in verse 15. Seek good to one another and to everyone. Do we do that in our body? Are you seeking good? I pray we'll be a body that we'll be seeking good for each other. And look how he tells us to relate to God in verse 16. Rejoice always, verse 17. Pray without ceasing, verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. So he tells us, here's how I want you to relate to other people. Here's how I want you to react to those who hurt you. Here's how I want you to relate to God, verses 16 through 18. I want you to rejoice always. What is he saying there? I love rejoicing always because I love he, he makes it clear in rejoicing always, even talking about prophecy, uh, that we're not controlled by our emotions. I love that rejoice always is a command. Think about that. Pause. Selah, as it says in the Old Testament. Pause and think, meditate on that. That he tells you to rejoice, which means it's a choice. You go, man, but you know how hurt I am. No, I, I don't. Some of us, our hearts are broken right now. We've suffered loss. We, we're having scenarios where you had this one thing after enough is coming upon you. But he's saying, no, I want you to rejoice. Why? Because of who God is. See, he's continually pointing them to who the Lord is. If God has you, if God loves you, if God's your protector, if God's your, your rock, then now things can happen, horrid things we've had in this community. And we don't, again, like I said, we don't, we, don't make, we don't pause and act like we're more spiritual when we don't grieve. But what I am exhorting us to is hopeful grief. We grieve with hope. And we say, man, that sucks. But I rejoice. Because God must go. He's doing something. God is good. He says, pray without ceasing. This whole concept is always weird for us to kind of grapple with. What does this mean? Am I always walking around, Lord Jesus? Like, what does this mean practically, right? This whole concept is one that, that, that we'll have a heart of communicating with God throughout our day. Acknowledging, remember, the dependence on God, which shows that we're worshiping him. And give thanks. I love in all circumstances. I love that he uses the right, <laughs> right uh, preposition there because he didn't say give thanks to, you know, or like that basically for all circumstances. Because some things, he's like, why are you going to give thanks to that? That's dumb. Right? A loved one passes away. Right? Someone wrongs you in a horrid way. But he says in those circumstances, we can trust God. Like, that God isn't, God isn't like, man, that, I'm, I'm excited about that. But, but in those circumstances, God gets to reveal his glory by working in you and the circumstance in general. And the whole point here, family, is I propose 16 through 18 is he's trying to birth in you and me a spirit where he's saying, I want the church to have a spirit not of, of gloom and pessimism, but that the, that the spirit of the church, when people walk in here, they should sense people who have the same problems as the people who walked in here. Same problems, but they see a sense of optimism. They don't see a bunch of haters. They see people who are giving life to each other. They don't see backbiters and jealousy. They see people who can celebrate people's gifts and celebrate what people have success and what people are enjoying their life. That there should be a heart of, of optimism and hope and like a glory and joy, not gloom and pessimism and, oh, poor me again. See, that's the that's culture 
He's trying to disband and say, no, enter in the culture of a new creation of people who actually believe in a Savior that's coming back. So he says in verse 19, do not quench the spirit, right? So verse 19 and 20, he gives these two negative exhortations. And then the last three are kind of positive, verses 21 through 23. Notice that in your Bibles. So I'm trying, I'm trying to break it down in those chunks that I perceive he breaks it down in so that you can memorize this stuff. You want to memorize the Bible? I mean, these, these are some easy passages because you get these threes and twos. And this whole concept of quenching the spirit is a, is a picture of, a, of you extinguishing a, a kind of a flame, right? It's a figuratively suppressing or stifling, stifling something. And so how do they do this? How do they, how do they quench the spirit? I propose they quench the spirit by verse 20. He says, do not despise prophecies. I propose that what was happening, which happens in our, in our, in our day and age, right, is that we have, we have people who are telling the truth about who God is from his word. And back, you know, so prophecies show itself by the proclamation of God's truth. Uh, supernaturally, people were imposing that, you know, during the first century. We have the Holy Scriptures. We have the whole canon, people espousing the truth of God uh, through his word. And what happens is when people start saying dumb things or things that are not from God, and they start, they start self-aggrandizing, which means they start lifting up themselves, trying to make themselves much. They try to focus on money or popularity or all these other things, and you don't sense that the gospel is in it. Sometimes what happens is that makes you jaded, and then you don't want to trust anybody with the word. So you have someone come up and they got a word from the Lord. God has said something to them. God has, God has, has ministered to their heart. And that happens in our body. That you, you're walking with God and you're with someone and God has put something in your heart. He wants you to share something with somebody in this community. He wants you to bless somebody in some way. And then sometimes we've had such experiences that someone says, hey, man, I feel like God has put something in my heart I want to share with you. We go, oh, man, you one of them crazy kids, man. You, I don't want to hear that. And I'm proposing to you that there are crazy people out here saying things so that they can be lifted up who are out here chasing ghosts and chasing spirit. and They should be chasing Jesus. Absolutely, there are people like that. But at the same time, he says, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. All you do is calm down, hear people out, and test the spirit. So I never forget when I was at Michigan State discipling some guys, and a guy came to me, and he was like, Eric, I don't know what to do, man. I know you've been teaching us about the Holy Spirit. And this guy came to us and said, the Holy Spirit told me 350 people are going to get saved on Wednesday. It's true. This is what happened. 350 people are going to get saved on Wednesday. They're going to have this big outreach. And it's going to be 350 people. Man, I was so mad at them. I couldn't believe he said that. I can't stand when people are like, taking God's name and, and doing all this stuff for their own glory. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So what do we do, Eric? What do you think we should do? I said, wait till Wednesday. Right? Wait till Wednesday. And then you walk up with them and you just count all the people who get saved. One, two. And if you get to 348, he's a false prophet. If you get to 351, he's a false prophet. If he tells you that Jesus told him a number, Jesus don't make mistakes. So I'm going to hold you to that. Right? But I'm going to test and see what the prophets say. I'm going to, what, okay, so God told you that? We don't automatically just displace stuff unless you see it's clearly not in the word. If someone says, man, I'm praying that God would heal you, I want to be a part of that. So he, he says, don't despise prophecies. Don't get scared by people being all, don't get scared by the brokenness of our world. 
Still trust God. Because at the end of the day, when people are saying what they're going to do and what God is, you're not trusting them. You're trusting Jesus. See, that's my whole thing. I'm not, I don't care what you said. I'm just excited to see what God's going to do. So what was the number? Because false teachers, guys, hear me here. Go through your Bible. Go through the epistles and see how many times, just Paul, for example, who talks about false teachers. It's, 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 um, it's, it's amazing how many times. So false teachers are his clear reality. But he did not want the church to become cynical, right, that they would treat the word of God with contempt. So be very careful, family, to, to quench the spirit of God when he's trying to move mightily in a body. Okay? So you don't, you don't accept anything, right? And you don't dis, disband everything, but you kind of carefully weigh. And that's what he says in verse 21. But test everything. Hold fast to what is good. You see that? Remember, retain. I love Matthew Coyne, that term. I use it every day now. Like, chew up the meat and spit out the bones. It's okay. Right? Don't let the good stuff go is the concept there in verse 21. He tells us to abstain from every form of evil, verse 22. Right, all, all things are contrary to God. We leave behind, we throw away. Uh, and this is how we rightly respond to the divine word. This is what we do. And I love this sense. I love the sense of do not despise prophecies. And I love how he talks about the same thing in, in Corinthians. His whole point there is that prophets aren't in a trance. Right? All the things he's saying here, joy, these things, he, he's saying we have intelligent volition and we choose joy. And when God says something, when we're like, well, God has said something, we, we can share that. And then guess what? Look what he says there. He tells us, don't despise it. He says, but test everything. And guess what that means? That means as a prophet, he's not just talking just about those who are espousing the prophecy. I mean, those who are hearing it. But as a prophet, I'm not in a trance when I say, man, I feel like God has put something in my heart I want to share with you. What that means is that sometimes, like, God puts something on your heart, and then you, you say, huh, is this, is this God or bad pizza? You know? And then you have the authority, because God has made you a human. You're not in a trance to say, I'm not going to share this. You see that? You don't always have to share everything that come in your mind. And that's the scariest part, right? Y'all be messing stuff up when you do that. Sarah, tell you, this is true. Another, another story. I hope all the things I say are true. But um, yeah, when we were, we were in a church back in the day, and they had a time where we're going to just hear God. Someone gets up. This is what, this is, this is what the guy said. This happened in the church. And he says, oh, I picture baloney flying. Y'all should be laughing a lot. And he went to this whole thing. And the pastor said, oh, we're done. We're not having this night anymore. <laughs> this, is, this is what was taught to us. Because soon as you start just saying whatever comes in your mind. Did you read the rest of the Bible where it talks about how our, our hearts are, are, are consistently deceitful? Do you don't want to know what's in my mind? I'm amazed. When they, t- they had us go to this hotel once and all the people were there. Like, so this is the first thing that comes in your mind, Eric, tell me. I'm like, you sure? <laughs> The kids around? What are you talking about? That's crazy. We, am I the only one? I'm jacked. Y'all jacked up too. Y'all know. So, how shall we live? We digest, memorize. My prayer is for you to take this text and memorize the ways we can relate to leaders, family, and then just simply ask the Holy Spirit to give you remembrance uh, an opportunity to apply. That's what I'm asking. I think that's what Paul wanted in this last stage, just, hey, take these words here 
and memorize. How do I care for my leaders? How do I care for one another? How do I add value to the covenant community? And man, and I want to apply, apply as I digest the word, apply it to my life practically. That's our homework. Let's respond in time of tithe and offering in our community, okay?